You're listening to Trinity Fremont's Sermon Podcast, where you can hear God's Word preached each and every week. Our purpose at Trinity is to raise up Christ's followers in our families and in our communities. We pray that as you listen to this week's sermon, you'll be encouraged and equipped to live out your faith in all that you do. Christ is risen. He He is is risen risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Here are the words of the Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And if Christ had not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If, Christ, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, then we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. It is true. You know, for us today, we have four different accounts, four different uh, writings of the resurrection of Jesus from Matthew, from Mark, from Luke, and from John. Four different people who have written down for us the event for us to hear and for us to read, and for us to share with others. And in Mark, we see three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother James of James and Salome, come to the tomb on this early Sunday morning to finish preparing Jesus' body for its final resting place. In the Gospels, we see that the women are the first ones to come to the tomb. That's why if, if you caught it in this Living Hope song, then came the morning, that verse is sung by the women. Right? Because it's, it's the women who first see that. But instead of, instead of finding Jesus' body there to prepare for its final burial, they find a young man dressed in white, sitting at the tomb where Jesus' body had been laid just a few days earlier. And this young man, he, he speaks to them, telling them that, that Jesus is not there, that he has risen from the dead. And then this, this man, he gives the women this command in Mark chapter 16, verses 7 and 8. He says, but go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you out to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Doesn't seem very reassuring, does it? Right? They, they, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Right? It, it makes you pause. It makes you start to wonder, and I, I'm sure the women at that moment were wondering as well, is this a hoax? Did, did someone come in the middle of the night and, and move the body of Jesus? Because that's what the religious leaders are going to tell everyone around them that's what happened. Matthew, in his account of the first Easter, he records that, that the chief priests gave a, submission, a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers, the ones who were guarding the tomb, and said, tell the people that his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. Is that what really happened? Well, th- thanks to whoever said no, I appreciate that. Yeah, no is the answer. Uh, but, but three times... In his year leading up to death, Jesus told those who were around him that he was going to die and rise again. We see it in Mark 8, Mark 9, and Mark 10. Mark 8, he says, and Jesus, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer 
many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And then Mark chapter 9, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. And then in Mark 10, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock Him and spit on Him and flog Him and kill Him. But after three days, He will rise. You see the theme coming through? Jesus knows that He is going to die, but He also promises His disciples, He will rise. C.S. Lewis famously uh, wrote that Jesus' own teaching forces us to, to do something with Jesus that, that many of us don't want to do. Many, of people, many people want to just say that Jesus was a prophet or that He's a, a great teacher or just a wise man. So if Jesus is a prophet or a great teacher or a wise man, a man then it, it would make sense that we should listen to His teachings, right? But in His teaching… He said that He came not as a teacher, not as a prophet, not as a wise man, but, but He came so that He could die for you, and that three days later He would rise for you for the forgiveness of all of your sins. And so C.S. Lewis said that there are really only three possible options for what you can logically think about who Jesus was. Either Jesus was a liar, or He was a lunatic, He was crazy, or Jesus was and is Lord. So the question I want to consider today was, was Jesus a liar? Right, did, did He claim that He would rise again to new life three days after His death, and then someone came along and stole His body in the middle of the night to make it look like He rose again? But really, it's just this elaborate plan to try and trick us all. Was Jesus a liar? Or is this true? Well, it's almost as though Jesus knew that we were going to be asking those questions. And so what does Jesus do? He proves it to us. Because this isn't a question that's going to be asked, that's going to start coming up 2,000 years after His death. This is a question that people are going to start asking that morning, and the next day, and the next week, and a month, and a year later, and forever until Jesus returns. This is a question that the people of Corinth were asking amongst themselves. And so, the Apostle Paul writes in his first letter to them, to the church of Corinth, responding to that question in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, "'For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and then He appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. The apostle Paul says to the church at Corinth and, and to us today that, that people might tell you that Jesus was a liar, that Jesus' body was moved and hidden by the disciples, but Paul says there are hundreds of eyewitness accounts that will tell you others. Jesus 
the risen Jesus appeared to hundreds of people. And Paul doesn't just say, well, hey, a bunch of people saw him, so, so just take our word for it. But Paul starts naming names. He says, first Cephas, who we better know is Peter, and then the disciples, the other 12, whom the people of that day would have known really well as well. And then 500 people at one time. And Paul makes special mention that, that most of those 500 are still alive. Basically, Paul is saying, if you don't believe me, if you don't believe what you've heard, go ask those people who saw him. Paul's making it very clear that this was not a hoax, but that Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. So then a, a good Lutheran question for us to ask this morning is, what does this mean? What does it mean that Jesus is risen from the dead? Does it mean that we get to get dressed up really nicely, get our pictures taken in front of this beautiful cross, and then go out for an expensive brunch with our family? Does, does it mean that we finally get to say alleluia again in worship? Does it mean that we can eat that chocolate or drink that pop or, or have back whatever we were fasting from in Lent? Does it mean that spring is here? Nope, doesn't mean that. So what does it mean that Christ is risen from the dead? Well, honestly, it means everything. It means that you have life. It means that you are forgiven of all of your sins. It means that you can live in freedom. It means that death has lost its sting. Paul writes later in 1 Corinthians 15 that death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And it means that, that you too will rise again. Earlier in, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul writes, for as in Adam, all die. So also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. And then the prophet Isaiah gives us a beautiful picture of what that day will look like when Jesus will return to make all things new. Isaiah chapter 25, the prophet says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow and of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. And it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. I really like in that, in that discussion of what it will look like on that last day as he talks about the feast that is to come, uh, well-aged wine is listed twice, just in case you missed it the first time, right? But, but what I like more about this is that the, the prophet Isaiah tells us that the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations will be swallowed up. He's telling us that, that God will swallow up death forever. 
and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. No more tears ever again. No more sickness. No more suffering. No more pain. No more sadness. No more effects of sin. No more death. What a glorious day that will be. And that's, that's a day that we look forward to. That's the day that we wait for. That's the day that we prepare for as we watch for that day. But that's also a day that's in the future. Sometime in the future, we don't know when that will be. We, we pray that it would come quickly, but that, that's a day in the future. But what about today? How can Jesus breathe life into you today? Well, there's a story in Ezekiel where God does just that. Ezekiel chapter 37, where, where, the, uh, where the prophet says, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you and I will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. And so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And then I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. And then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. And so I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Right, breath came into them, and they lived. Right, you have a God who speaks and he turns dead, dry bones into an exceedingly great army. You have a God who breathes life into places where there is no life. And you have a God who still does that today. In what situation do you need God to speak today? In what situation do you need God to breathe his life into you today? Maybe it's a sin that's just been clinging to you. Or maybe it's a a broken relationship with, with family or with friends. Or maybe it's a, just kind of a blah outlook on life. How will you ask God to take the dead things around you and make them live? Right, this Easter, we celebrate, the, the Easter that we celebrate today is not just a story, it happened. It's not just some fairy tale that we tell our kids to, to get them to hope that someday they will live happily ever after. It happened. The story of Ezekiel and the dry bones isn't something that's just this made-up story. It actually happened. 
The the story of God saving His people from certain death as they're trapped between the Red Sea and the the Egyptian army isn't just some cool scene with with Charlton Heston leading a bunch of actors on a movie scene with special effects to make it look like they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. It actually happened. These are actual events where God breaks into history and gives life where there was once death. It's God demonstrating his power to bring life from death, to bring forgiveness and cleansing where there was once guilt and shame. That's what Easter is all about. It's not just about some event that happened 2,000 years ago that has no impact on your life today, because each one of us faces death. Yes, death at the end of our lives here on this earth, but, but what about those situations in your lives that look like the valley of dry bones. I want you to leave here knowing that that 2,000 years ago, God was at work on that very first Easter. But I also want you to leave today knowing that God is at work today. He may not work in the way that you want Him to work or the way that I want Him to work, but He will work powerfully. And I pray that He would work powerfully in a way that that He knows is best for you and for me because His ways are better than my ways. And that's why what I want to encourage you to pray for in your life as well. Because if Jesus is indeed risen from the dead, which He is, then His resurrection power is available to you right now. Not just in the past, Right? Not just on that first Easter or not just that first time when God breathed breath into your life and gave you faith, and not just some time in the future when He will return to make all things new, but right now. So how will you ask God to breathe life into you today? Because God is still at work in your life today, and because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.